and welcome to Box Cutters episode 302. I would have pressed the button sooner, but I don't think you can sing very well. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. To my right, Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. Coming up later on in uh, Box Cutters, which is, of course, all about television and production meetings, uh, we've got an interview with uh, Christine Lawrence, who used to work for Nielsen Ratings. Uh, when I interviewed her, worked for Spike TV. Now, I have no idea. The interview took place last uh, December, and uh, I only just got around to editing it. She's so. off the grid now. She's probably in charge of ABC movies. Or uh, probably. Disney. Probably. Disney. Fact, I think, she's, Disney. I think yeah. she is running Disney. Yeah, someone has to. Yeah. John, you went to Supernova weekend before last. I did. And uh, and you went as a guest. Yes, I didn't meet Noodles. You didn't meet no, Noodles. No, because I was in the green room mm. and he was kept yeah. outside. <laughs> we've got some letters to box cutters. We've got one thing. We've got some pork. We have our second ever guest donor, Yay. Nicole O'Duffy. Welcome to box cutters. Thank you. You're, uh, you're the greatest person ever. What about Noodles? Well, Noodles is good. Okay. But he's not here, is We've he? We've had Noodles. He's not here right now. Wow. Harsh. Well, see, the thing is, N- Nicola Duffy not only donated $150 to, uh, t- to be a part of an episode of Box Cutters and help us get to South by Southwest, John, she also presented us with the idea that that's uh, a way we could raise money. So, you know, b- because of you... Everyone else gets to be, well, not everyone else, I mean, that's 7 billion people, but a lot of other people get to be on box cutters. It's because of you and their willingness to give us 150 yeah, bucks. it's a sort of oral prostitution you brought to the show. Well done, Nicole. Yeah, do my best. Thanks. So, so, Nicole, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself and particularly not the bits that are in the paper because we know all of that. Tell us what sort of TV shows you like. I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days, and I like to think that I like TV shows that are involve some detecting or a central core mystery. My husband thinks I like TV that allows me to judge people. <laughs> <laughs> aren't, they, aren't they the same thing? No. He always just seems to witness the TV where I get to yell at the TV. So <laughs> g- g- give, us, give us some examples of the yelling, and then give us some examples of the detecting. Well, I don't like reality TV necessarily that's like competitive reality tv so survivor no amazing race no but i do like the sort of you know fake documentary setups like hoarders (laughs) (laughs) and you know that sort of and that really horrible and i knew it was horrible that wedding show that four weddings weddings. yeah which was hideous but it allowed a lot of yelling it's my stress relief for the week um, so your husband sees you seeing those shows and shouting at them, which you don't watch, except when you're watching them to shout at them. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And, and is, this like, uh, is, is this like in the same way that I would go to boxing class and imagine my boss's face on the, on the bags? Do you just take a lot, of, uh, a lot of frustration out on these shows? Yes. And, and so what are the detecting shows? Well, I like... Hoarders. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like detecting, I mean, you know... An old school Law and Order fan. Okay. Um, yeah, all three versions. <laughs> really? Yeah, they all have their charms and their you know creepiness. Um, I don't like the CSIs. Too flashy. Okay. And annoying. Um, too much te- removing of sunglasses involved. What about without a trace? It had its moments. Okay. What I about, liked the Cold Case. What about your old school kind of Miss Marple kind of? Yeah. You know. You yeah, go for that kind big of... fan of those. Mm-hmm. But I involve, like when I say also a central mystery, uh, things like Lost, which I really liked, because it did, you know, wasn't necessarily detecting on a day-to-day basis, but there was a mystery. And I include things like Supernatural in that, mm-hmm. but also involves, you know, hot guys taking their shirts off. Um, and even Firefly to a certain point. Nicole, thank you so much for, for donating and coming up with the idea by coming up with it i mean stealing it from another show but still suggesting it to us we're uh, we're, we're very grateful for for that uh you'll be back in pork to talk to us a little bit about uh why you love i didn't know i was pregnant and say yes to the dress as always though we're going to kick things off now with the box cutters news
Assange's uh, TV show started last week. Did anyone catch it? No. Did you? I saw a bit of it. I couldn't understand why Delta Goodrum was in a, in a big chair. I just wait to press a button to turn around. I didn't understand. I don't really get the premise of the show. What? <laughs> I think maybe you're watching the wrong show. Ah. Oh. Oh right, right, okay. Uh, so no one, no one got to watch it. I, I, I did oh, you see did, a bit of you it. You did yeah, see yeah. a bit of it. Yep, yep. Um, and how was it? So of course, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Julian, Julian Assange. Assange. Julian Assange is uh, under house arrest, so uh, he can't actually go anywhere to, uh, to say a studio. So it's Julian um, Assange's house party. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of, except it's it's all uh, linked up by uh, I assume ISDM lines or the internet or something like that. So, so it's two um, remote positions where where interviewer and interviewee are sitting. Um, well, so they, they don't come in. They haven't mocked up a studio in his house or anything. No, no. In fact, it's it's uh, it's not set like at all. It's basically him sitting at his desk with the screen in front of him with the camera looking over the screen at him, two translators next to him, one translating on the way the question's over and one translating the answers back. Which is weird, Delta Goodrum speaks English, so I don't know why they're <laughs> doing that. Um, so, so we interviewed the, uh, the head of Hezbollah uh, and uh, asked some probing to, questions. He's not trying to be controversial or anything, though, is he? Uh, speaking to the, so, hang on, are they, doing, are they doing the translating live so, like, half the show is wasted with translation back and forth? No, no, so... so or are they, they cutting the translation out? They fade out the, the letter of Hezbollah while the English translation comes through, but it is live, so, so you've got a translator there kind of doing... not doing a polished translation, but you get it direct uh, as he's speaking. So the leader of Hezbollah speaks Polish? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Interesting. In- interesting. Uh, um, but is the, it like is, it, is it good viewing? Is he a good interviewer? Because he's a terrible interviewee. Mm, no, he's probably the same level as he is an interviewee. So, so sounding very much like he's reading the questions. Um, it, I mean, it's it's difficult to judge because no, it's not. It's easy. No, no, but, be, <laughs> but because it was going through the translators, right? But still, it's it, it should it, it is really just awkward men having conversations via Skype. A little bit, but having conversations with people that aren't getting uh, or aren't, aren't granting interviews or aren't being asked to do interviews on on Western TV. It's on uh, a TV it's network that comes out of Russia. Yep. Yeah. Um, set up by Putin uh, some number of years ago. By Putin, for, for Putin, Putin, of Putin. Of the Putin. Yeah. Um, however, uh, Assange isn't um, just asking questions that suits the, the Russian government of the day. <coughs> yeah. Sure. Um, so, so, like, uh, asking hard-hitting questions on, you know, why, why, aren't you, why are you supporting the Syrian government at the moment when they're... And did you get any of your tweets on? <laughs> they didn't have any tweets. Oh, on. didn't they? No. Oh. no. Um, but uh, fully, fully viewable on uh, the internet. Yeah, I just it's it still just doesn't appeal to me at all. I, 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 nothing about it. Nothing about it appeals to me. Other, other than that, why does this guy have a TV show? I like saying Assange. Well, I think that it fits in with his ideology of, you know, why did he set up WikiLeaks? Because he wants to uh, break down the barrier of, of the, the people's knowledge about what's actually going on. So, so he's probably shopped around an idea about doing these interviews that aren't interviews that are getting on mainstream commercial TV. Is he your new boyfriend? No, not at all. No. I, I understand where he's coming from, though. Because oh, to, to me, he, just, he, he still just seems like a troublemaker. Really? You yeah. Think he just did it to. I think. Get I, think in he, I think he does stuff trouble. just to stir up trouble. That's yeah. that's my take. That's my take on Assange. Now he's a creepy Anderson Cooper. Speaking of which, Anderson Cooper's dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of creepy Anderson Cooper. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Wait. Are we go- are we going on to the gay porn story now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Surely that's that's a natural segue. Weird, weirdly enough, that really was a natural segue. I hadn't even thought about that. that. Is, but yeah, to, to go from from Julian Assange, Anderson Cooper, gay porn on the news. 
So, that, I mean, that's basically the, the whole story. A Canadian TV uh, station had uh, had gay porn for three minutes. For three minutes. Instead of news like they were supposed to. Yeah. On breakfast TV. Uh, and uh, and they, blamed it, they blamed it on uh, repairs to, uh, to connections. Apparently, the feed from hard TV was being fed through, and thus the Lucasfilm's uh, production of After Hours... Uh, which involves 12 hot men on the streets of Berlin, was being... I did research, people! Yeah! The Lucasfilms <laughs> production. Uh, well, it's uh, the Lucas Company or Lucas something. I, I don't think it's the same Lucas. I think it's a different Lucas. And Lucas Haas. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> From Witness. Uh, is... Uh He's he he's put some like fifty bucks together for twelve men to walk around Los Angeles because uh, no, Berlin. Oh, Berlin. But, because the production company who made it found the whole thing hilarious and have actually been you know tweeting about it. It's the their best ratings ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite part of that story was that because it was breakfast Canadian breakfast television and apparently um, uh, there were places like Starbucks and gyms that just have this like on all the time. And, <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite part of the story. Apparently people were in Starbucks and it all came on screens. But being Canadian, I mean, surely no one was that upset about it, were they? I mean, we've been told there's outrage, but I mean, it was also three minutes. You think by the third minute, you're going, oh, I'm kind of used to it. <laughs> What's Carl Stefanovic going up to on the other side? Oh, oh now I've got a terrible That's why Carl on. shouldn't drink. No, and no, s- obviously he should drink. That's what gets gold logies. <laughs> and, and speaking of gold logies, who else has died? Jonathan Freed died. Or possibly Fred. I mean, this thing, we don't even know how to pronounce the name. Fred. It, I think it's Fred. Let's go Fred because it's America and they do that kind of thing. I want to bring something up. Jonathan Fred died. He played uh, Barnabas Collins on Dark Shadows. Now, Dark Shadows is a show we've mentioned in passing before. It was it was a, a soap opera about vampires. Well, uh, that's the interesting thing. Originally, it was it was just a soap opera. When it started in 1966, it was just a daytime soap opera. Uh, a year later, when the ghosts and vampires and people started showing up, that's when things went a little bit weird. And that is also when uh, Barnabas shows up. And... Uh, he was originally a typical villain, accidentally freed from his locked coffin within the Collins family crypt and immediately preying upon several innocent townspeople. But, of course, he became the hero for shortly after that. <laughs> and one of the of interesting course. things about this is that's when the show took off. The show became a huge hit because of him. And uh, it's just fascinating because there's no other really roles that he's famous for, but... Dark Shadows, it it ran from 66 to 71. It was a daytime soap. There's thousands of episodes of it. Almost all of them exist. There's only one episode not in existence, which is quite rare for this kind of program. And I actually think Dark Shadows... Was that the one where you find out where the Cybermen actually come from? Yeah, that's one. I think Dark Shadows is actually one of the reasons why we have things like Lost. I don't think you... I think without Dark Shadows, we wouldn't have had The X-Files or Twin Peaks or Lost. I think they all actually have this this sort of German, this weird, weird program that went nuts and was successful and then allowed future generations who were watching that in the afternoon to, to do that stuff and, yeah, make it good. That's, that, that's, that's an interesting theory. I, I want to see some Dark Shadows, but I don't want to have to watch it. There is some stuff on YouTube, and I did try to watch some today, and yes, it is tedious. Right. And, uh, but it is fascinating, because people at the time, I mean, uh, uh, not only that I was going to say, it came back several times. There was a 1991 NBC reboot, uh, WB in 2004, made a pilot, which uh, they didn't show and didn't go with, but it's, it's shown up at the Dark Shadows uh, conventions. Yeah, I know, I know they have conventions. Uh, Tim Burton has made a film which is being released this year, and that is, in fact, uh, curious enough, Jonathan Frid's last acting oh. gig. He has a cameo appearance in the Dark Shadows movie, which stars uh, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. And Johnny Depp, apparently, was a huge fan of the show and became an actor because he loved Dark Shadows so much and wanted to be Barnaby Collins. Right. So there uh, you go. On top of all of that news, uh, you probably heard Netflix is going to be releasing all <laughs> all episodes of Arrested Development, you know, the new look, series. Look, we've had this Arrested Development thing going on, and I always say, it's not real. Stop doing the stupid stories. I brought this one in thinking, oh, it's real. And only on the tram here did I realise it says, you know, at an undisclosed date next summer. I went, it's still not real yet. It's still not real. But they'll be doing it. How long have we been saying that for? They'll do, they'll do it. They'll do it. And then, if you just take out the credits and play them all together, it'll be like a movie. Yeah. Well, so, basically, they're releasing all the episodes in the one day, basically like you're buying a box set, which some people are upset about. I think it actually makes perfect sense. I don't, I don't care either way. Give me the Arrested Development. Well, I think that's the point, isn't it? It's what people want, then why not release it? But they also mentioned here that everyone stopped talking about the film. The film has gone quiet. And then they'll come out with the film and go, surprise! <laughs> and that is the Box Cutters News. 
Hi. I'm really lucky to be the guest of these funny, gorgeous, sexy, hunky, funky, punky, funky men. That's Genevieve Lemon here from Carson's Law, and you're listening to Box Cutters. I mentioned a few weeks ago that when I was in New York, I saw a special event with the cast of Archer at the Paley Centre. And that event was okay, but the people on stage were nowhere near as informative as the woman I was sitting next to in the audience. And she had some really important information for me. It's six chickens, not five. I just thought I'd do Something about chickens. Neils and chickens. Neils and chickens. Neils and chickens. She seemed to know a lot about these chickens, like... Supposed to be an even number. Statistically. So I wanted to find out more, and it turns out her name is Christine Lawrence, and she used to work for the uh, Nielsen organisation. Now she works for Spike TV. That is correct. And she has a very impressive job title. I am a senior analyst in programming research. Which means it's her job to, to take... take Nielsen information and our survey panel information and kind of figure out what people are watching and what they don't like about our shows or what they do like about our shows and what they like about other people's shows to kind of figure out where our shows should be going. So there was clearly a lot that I could learn and I thought that the Box Cutters audience could learn from listening to Christine. So I went and met her at her offices and we sat down, had a chat, and I started by asking her what sort of channel Spike actually was. It was a channel called the Nashville Network. Mm -hmm. Which was really targeted towards um, the Midwest, U.S., you know, um, a, a lot of Star Trek and roller derby, actually. So oh, naturally. Naturally, <laughs> it made perfect sense that that should become Spike, a male-targeted channel. We had, like, the, the Joe Schmo show, yep. which was a reality show, sort of, but focused on one guy who had no idea he was in a reality show about him. Right. And we have, you know, we had WWE Wrestling for a while, but now we have TNA Impact, which is a different brand of wrestling. Total Nitro Action. And then we have, um, well, we have UFC until the end of the year. We're losing that. Oh. That's going to Fox. Not bitter or anything. It's a very, it's very popular. It's I'm sure. very popular. And I don't want to sound angry, but I feel like we have a lot to do with it becoming more popular. <laughs> Spike is a cable channel. Yes. And Fox, and Fox is free to wear. Uh, yes. Uh, although they are also, the deal that they made involves multiple of their cable channels as well. Being a cable channel in what seems like just going through the remote control, a hugely saturated market. There are over a hundred Nielsen rated channels, which is not including the hundreds of channels that are too small to be Nielsen rated. Yeah. I mean, your your job is, is about defining competition. Right. How do you do that? Like, that just seems almost impossible when you've got so much competition and people have such low attention spans. Every day we're looking at the ratings for all the channels we can get information for, seeing uh, in our target demographics what they're watching on other channels to kind of see they're watching Pawn Stars. Well, mm. why are they watching Pawn Stars? We need to look into that more. Or Which just for, yeah. for the non-US audience is a, a reality show about a pawn shop Yes. Owners who, who buy buy goods and sell goods. Yes. P A W N. Yes, pawn. Yes. Yeah. Um, they. Um, that's what we call an infotainment show. Mm-hmm. So it's entertaining, but it's also informational. And we're trying to do similar styles of shows. We have a show called Auction Hunters, mm-hmm. where these two guys buy um, storage units is similar to another show, Storage Wars, which is similar to another show, Storage Hunters. It gets very confusing very quickly. When you have a show like Storage Wars or Storage Hunters or Auction Hunter Wars, uh, how can you justify to, to the point of copyright that your show concept is not identical? You know, that's something I haven't really had a lot of experience with. I know that we have a show called Flip Men, which we actually went through three or four rounds of legal with to make sure that we could use the name 
because there was a guy. Flip this house. It's um, it's a house flipping show, but they deal in buying foreclosed houses and then flipping them. Right. Um, but there's a guy out there called the Flip Man, and legally, we it was too close of a name to use, right. so we had to make a deal because no other names for the show worked. When you have a situation, when you have a show that is like other shows in an already saturated market. Mm-hmm. How much testing goes into a show name? Sometimes a lot and sometimes none at all. I know that we went through four or five different names for some shows, but some shows the name comes to us from the production company. Okay. It's called this and do you want it? Right. Uh, And so then do you want it? Is that where you come in because you then have to go and research whether or not Spike actually wants it? Yeah, we do um, pilot testing. Um, we do focus groups. We show off. You know, I did a focus group for a show we have coming up called uh, American Digger, mm-hmm. which is another one of those um, artifact-related shows where um, it's a big personality who goes and digs up people's backyards to find historical items that are buried there. Oh, which um, I think sounds really interesting, and I've seen the pilot, and it looked really cool. But we did uh, focus groups to see if our target audience was interested in the show, what they thought needed work, if they would watch it, what channel they thought it would be on. We didn't tell them it was Spike. Right. We can kind of gauge where they think it falls and if we think it's where we think it should be. Mm-hmm. And so MTV uh, is the parent company for, for Spike. So Viacom is the parent company yes. of MTV. MTV is the parent company of Spike. Well, actually, it was MTV Networks was um, the TV entertainment group. It had like 20-something channels. Mm-hmm. But they've changed their name, and it's now Viacom Media Networks. That is officially our name okay. now. So and Viacom owns Spike. Right. Yeah. So once you go through all your process of, of research and, uh, and focus groups... Mm-hmm. Does Spike have the final say on what goes on Spike, or does it have to go up the line to Viacom Media Networks, and then they have the final say? Yes, that will be that show will be part of our network, or it won't be part of our um, network. Spike pretty much has the final say what's going to be on Spike. The president of the entertainment group, which is Spike Comedy Central and TV Land, mm-hmm. may have a final say in that also. But Let's just call him much- Jack Donaghy. Pretty much. <laughs> Spike says what goes on Spike's air as okay. long as we can get the money for it. What if another, this is purely hypothetical and might make no sense, but what, what if another channel in the network had a very similar show to a Spike show? That's actually happened with Comedy Central recently. Okay. Um, Comedy Central has Tosh.0. Yes. And MTV started a show after that called ridiculous or ridiculousness something like that it's a similar concept show and i don't think comedy central is very happy about it because it's our own family that's basically ripping off the show but which is essentially the soup anyway right but um corporately the the policy is we want to own our content we don't want to buy content from other channels so we'd rather we own the ripoff of our own show we, no. we we mostly just hear about how Storage Wars and Auction Hunters and Storage Hunters are all on at the same time on the same day. Oh, really? That's a new thing. That happened in November. Who, uh, who kept their time slot and who moved their time slot? Our show was on Tuesday. A&E moved their show to Tuesday. Their show is much larger than our show is. But that clearly means that they see you as a threat. That's a, that um, seems like a good thing. We we think it's a good thing, um, although it is a little tough because, I mean, people watch that show. Like, four million people watch that show. We get, like, a million, a million and a half, maybe almost two million. These days, that's, that's big numbers. These days, that is a, a huge deal. I mean, okay, Jersey Shore on MTV can get, you know, four, five, six million viewers. But football gets... 13 million viewers on an average game. We're happy with 2 million viewers. When you're when you're doing audience testing, do you go back and change the shows much after the uh, it 
It depends on at what stage we're at already. Like, we may do some testing on a show, but as it turns out, most of the season's already been filmed. Yeah. But we'll do testing to kind of guide what the next season would be. Like, we had a show called uh, Bar Rescue, mm-hmm. which is like um, Kitchen Nightmares, but for bars. Yeah. So we had the show Bar Rescue, and the season was over, and we did some surveys and some testing to kind of see what our audience thought was missing in the first season so we could guide the second season so it could do better. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly with Flip Men, which is mostly filmed already, we're trying to figure out why it's not getting exactly the audience we thought it should, so we're trying to see what's missing there so we can kind of fix it. So has, has the second season of Bar Rescue gone to air? Is that taping now? Um, I believe they are casting and taping. Okay. And have they and they've taken your suggestions on board? You have no idea of knowing until they finish? I honestly don't know, but I certainly hope they have taken some of the suggestions. Do you ever get scared that there will be a kind of homogenization of, of the show? Like we, we speak to a lot of TV creators, like mm-hmm. producers and, and, and writers who... I don't know how to say this nicely. They hate people like you. Yeah. Right? They they absolutely they just go, well, they take our idea and they dumb it down. Or they take our idea and they make it as bite-sized as possible. Well, that's and not me. That's the people I work for. They're the ones who do that. I'm just the one who looks at the numbers and tells them what the numbers say. And then they take that however they want. Right. That's the analyst part of your yeah. of, of your title. It's, it's a tough thing because the you know TV is a business. Absolutely. We can't survive without advertisers paying us money. They won't pay us money if we don't get the right ratings. So we have to do whatever we can to get those ratings. So Which, which brings us nicely to Nielsen. Yes. You, you worked at Nielsen. I worked at Nielsen for two and a half years. What the f*** is sweeps? <laughs> my, I'll tell you my understanding of sweeps. My understanding of sweeps is that... Three or four times a year, there are two weeks where people in small towns fill out surveys and mail them back. And then there's a room full of chickens that just does that. That's pretty in Australia, close. In Australia, we just have one chicken. That's, that's pretty close. Okay. It's pretty close. Um, sweeps is four times a year. It's you know once every quarter. It's for the smaller markets to get demographic-based ratings because they don't have people meter technology. Why not? Because it is not cost effective. Okay. The markets themselves have to help pay for that technology, and some of these markets are incredibly small, and it's hard enough to afford, you know, paper diary sampling. But then networks, like we've seen this for, for years in Australia, but why is that episode so different to all the other episodes? Because networks game the system. Absolutely. The you absolutely game the system. You put on the biggest, best episode you can during sweeps because that brings the most people to your channel so you can get the biggest numbers possible to continue selling your advertising based on. But then it's based on a line. Like, don't people think then that... But it's not for the broadcast network as a whole. It's for the local market network. So it's like the affiliate. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, here in New York, it's still a big network, but WABC. Not ABC corporately, but WABC, the New York affiliate of ABC. Yeah. Although it wouldn't be a big deal here, but say that was in Wichita, Kansas, or something like that. Where ABC Corporate provide them uh, viewing between... They, they provide content between, say, 7 and 11 p.m. Approximately, and, yeah. And it's the, it's the local network's job to fill the rest of the time. Right, either with syndicated daytime talk shows or news programming or sports, local sports, or infomercials in the middle of the night if they have to. And so then that small station that can barely afford to run its own its own way. Right. Uh, they benefit from the network itself doing a big sweeps thing because then they get these higher ratings during their sweeps period so they can sell advertising for higher money. So from corporate's idea, it's kind of like a, a sweetener for their affiliates. Right. So they're going to do that live-to-air episode of ER to right. sweeten it for the affiliates. Exactly. And, and, uh, and things like that. So, so you've got that four times a year. 
the rest of the time, the ratings are then based from large cities, New York, Chicago. They're still based on the entire U.S. in quotes. It's about 20,000 homes in the U.S. Mm -hmm. with um, meters attached to all of the TVs in their homes. It's supposed to be distributed proportionally to the U.S. population, so it's supposed to be able to statistically, magically be projected out to normal people. Right. Right. So, average of five people per home, it's like 0.5 of a percent of the population. It's a very small percentage, but they've done statistical studies to show that adding more people doesn't make it any more accurate, and it just makes the cost go up. Yeah, so it's a, it's a statistically significant right. sample. They won't tell you who's in the sample, but they'll tell you how many homes are in the sample in any given market. They actually do that pretty regularly, and actually there's reports that we can run that can tell us how many people were actually calculated in the sample on any given day for any given show. Right. They have an independent organization that audits them and audits other companies as well, so they have more to answer to than just Spike. Spike is a realistic competitor to... I mean, clearly it's a realistic competitor to Fox uh, if if Fox is taking... Fox is taking our programming, Your, your programming, yeah. uh, which means that it... Uh, extrapolating that out, it's a realistic competitor to other free-to-air networks who are really the big players, NBC, right. ABC, Fox, CBS, uh, to a much lesser extent, CW. CW doesn't count as a real network. They only have two hours of programming... Two hours of programming, five days a week. That's ridiculous. They barely count as a network. I mean, there's a Nielsen definition of what counts as a broadcast network, yeah. and they just barely fit it. Go- going back to Spike, we, we were talking about the soup and Tosh.0 and, and whatever the one that MTV created. Ridiculousness, ridiculous I believe, is nurse. the name of it. All of these clip shows, how important are they to a channel like Spike? How- well, that's Comedy Central. Not us. We don't have any clip shows. No, you, no, no. I mean, oh. so if if the soup shows something from uh, from Spike, from Spike, so you know so, something from Antique uh, Wars, <laughs> ah, from Luggage War, Luggage Luggage Wars. That's a show that might happen. L- oh, oh. people buy That's- people's. Luggage that got lost at the airport. There's a big place. There's a big place out. Yeah, there's a big place. Um, Like in Georgia or? Yeah, there's one in like Oklahoma or something like that. But it's one of the big hubs and all this stuff gets shipped there. And you can go there and buy stuff out of these stores. I want to do that. I am going to take a trip (gasps) there one day because I want to buy something that was in somebody else's luggage. It just feels right. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, they lost it. You lost it, it. it's mine. (laughs) Uh, So just say luggage wars is, is a thing and let's just pretend that it's two people hitting each other with luggage. Yes, because right. I would watch that also. Well, that's like that's like take take the best of uh, of gladiators, mm-hmm. uh, but put it in an airport, so it's more realistic. Oh yeah. Uh, so if if the soup shows a clip from Luggage Wars, mm-hmm. does that affect the ratings of the next episode of Luggage Wars? Is there any? It might. It depends on if they show the clip in a good context or a bad context and if they mention when and where it's on because the more information somebody gives about where to find it on our network the more likely someone's going to come find it but if they don't say if they say oh this show luggage wars and don't say anything about whose show it is odds are someone's not going to go scrolling through their tv guide just to find it and and then they might come and record it they might come across Carry On Battle mm-hmm. uh, and think it's the same show. Right. Uh, but that's obviously not the same show because that's only backpacks. That's not that's, rolling luggage. That's nothing. You can, I can hear someone with a backpack. It's not going to hurt anyone. It's like a bit of big Samsonite. Oh, yeah. with the, you know, It's got locks on it. And... You could have like a... Now just fantasizing, you could have like a, a curling match where you roll Samsonite luggage. <laughs> down and try I think that, that that would also be fun. CM and IDs might actually work here. Oh yeah. I should 
We would probably take that show. <laughs> Christine Lawrence, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're very it's, welcome. You've, uh, you've given us a lot of answers to questions that we've had for years. Hi, this is Jim Shembury from The Age newspaper. Just telling you all to listen to Box Cutters if it's the last thing you do. Josh, Brett and John are the most informed, entertaining, funniest guys you'll ever hear over a pod. I still don't know what podcasting is, but apparently if you go onto the ARPANET, you can you can get it. The ARPANET. Oh, the internet! I'm sorry. That was the old word for it. Yes. Box Cutters. Listen up. It's great. Not at the age anymore. Has he finished? Is he yeah, finished now? Yeah, he's explained the joke. Yeah, thanks. That's how comedy works. You make the joke, then you explain it for longer than the joke. John, you went to Supernova, which, uh, which is not the destruction of a sun. No, not no. when it's spelt with an A in the middle. Or a band competition. Sepa, Sepanova. No, no, it's Supernova. Supernova. It is Supernova. Supernova. So yes, Adam, Richard and myself were invited down there to give a talk and then sign some DVDs. Um, and uh, we were at the Film Inc. table. It was the thing that turned out. It was actually Film Inc. magazine had requested us because last year they had Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most flattering thing that's ever happened in my life. <laughs> it's like, clearly, the next available cab is Adam and John. So, um, congratulations. That's a, that's a huge... It was. Yeah, thank you for filming. So that's, we, like, that's like your own personal Logie. Well, we went down there to not knowing if anyone was going to be there. That kind of like, does anyone even want a serious talk? Because, you know, it's Edward James Olmos and it's Will Wheaton and it's Summer Glau and all these people. Do they really want to see the two of us talk about our sitcom? And it turned out they did. Summer uh, Glau and her underbite. Yeah, so there's this I mean, much bigger audience than we were expecting. Under 100 people came to hear us talk. Wow. Um, that was all very pleasing. Lots of questions from the audience. I did talk the other night, too, with this library, and I've realized that I enjoy, I enjoy the Q&A bit more than anything else. We should just do Q&As from now on because they're just really interesting and people ask really interesting questions. Then we went and did the signing. But the other big thing, because we mentioned Noodles was on the show last week, and he said I was, he was volunteering and, and was PA to, to Will Wheaton. Um, which is not a genital piercing in this particular case. And he said he wasn't allowed in the green room. Which is, is Will Wheaton's <laughs> slang for genital piercing? <laughs> it is. Wow. He's, he's got an enormous Will Wheaton, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and Rod has kept a Picard. And I was in the green room, of course, in Nazi noodles. Cause, you know, and the, uh, this is the funny thing, too. I grew up you know, in fan clubs and, and uh, a lot of those kind of conventions, like the Continuum. So we, we've done some mm. stuff out and we're doing one coming up. And I think it's Continua. Continua. And the Worldcon. And so it's kind of weird for me to go to these ones, which are huge and commercial and and massive in this. It's just really odd. So like to be in a green room for a start and to have the green room just packed full of stuff, you know, and it's all free. Because the ones that you're used to going to, the presenters are also often the audience. Yeah, it's like everyone's kind of equal. They're all authors, usually. They're all most novelists more than anything else. Yep. Yeah, this is obviously more film and television and stars is the big thing. And so there's this green room with all these people there, including Edward James Olmos. And now I twice during the day sat at a table with Edward James Olmos and said nothing. <laughs> Both times, all I could think of was, oh my God, you're Edward James Olmos! You're in the West Wing! You're in, you're in Fasno Atlantica! I thought he knows that. He, he could have helped you with, his cal- with your calculus homework. <laughs> he has the same... Gravitas in real life that he does, like on Battlestar, or it's, it's amazing. He just sat at the table, and you kind of went, "Yeah, that dude's a, an admiral." Yeah, <laughs> if, if this green room was on fire and someone was going to be thrown out of an airlock, he'd know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> He's the captain of this green room. And what and what would Will Wheaton do in a space situation like that? He would know how to ask his mother for permission. <laughs> and I, I met Will Wheaton. I did actually talk to Will Wheaton because I didn't feel quite so, you know, who, who was lovely. We had a chat about comedy. But um, I should mention, when I turn up, because this is one of those things, it's a bit like Comic-Con. Lots of people come in, in costume and they come dressed up and all that sort of stuff. And I went to the media desk to get signed in and whatever, and I had to wait because this discussion slash argument was going on with a gentleman who apparently was not aware that there was a no pedo bear costume rule, and he had come dressed as pedo bear, and it wasn't running bear, and even if it was, that's a sub-meme of pedo bear. I knew nothing about any what? of this. What is, what is pedo bear? Pedo bear is apparently... Nicole's reacting like she knows what pedo bear is. <laughs> N- Nicole, do you, do, you mind, do you mind talking about pedo bear? I know what it is, but I don't think I can explain it. And if I could explain it, I would really hate myself. Is it a pedophilic bear? It's a 4chan yes. internet meme, apparently. Uh, yeah, in which uh, I only know it from the, from the kind of 
meme, but not from the original 4chan thing. Yeah, is it, is it a Care Bear related? I, th- I think it's someone dressed as a bear who's trying to molest children. Yeah, pretty much. And they've made a meme out of it and sort of a cartoon or like a drawing of a bear that lures children. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. And there's a strict no pedo bear rule at so, Supernova. And in the what, end, if, what, if he, I went, what if I went dressed as a bear... In uh, in in some well, bathers. No, but this is the thing. I said, "How do you know it's Peter Bear and not another kind of bear?" And they went, "No, no, it's clearly Peter Bear. You can tell from from the, the the head and the mouth." And I said, "So, you know, has this guy made his own Peter Bear?" There we go for the video podcast. Uh, uh, oh, John, John, we've, we've John, you've been away for a bit, but there is no video podcast. So, uh, and I asked about that, and, and I said, "Has he just made it?" And she went, "No, no, no. They're, they're commercially available." <laughs> <laughs> commercially available and in the end he was allowed to go in without the head so that gentleman spent the whole day <laughs> dressed as most of a bear and there's lots of people dressed up in these outfits and uh, a friend of mine was saying that they're amazing outfits and, and we didn't know what half of them were which means they were either anime or video games <laughs> 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 yeah there's a lot of that going on um, uh, we, we got to sign DVDs and pretend we were famous we did sign someone's chest and, and uh, th- that will ruin your sharpie Yes. Really? We've, so, we've learned something there. Was signing was that, someone's tits will ruin your shower. Too much is sweat. That, is is yeah. it because because of sweat or coconut oil or or the hair? I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it could be any of those things. And so it, it was interesting to me watching this thing because people like uh, Edward James almost they're there to, to to sign autographs. They're there to be photographed, and you pay for each of these things. And this is the other thing. Oh. Yeah, I'm used to that more fan world where it was fans organising the stuff. You know, the audiences, the the guests, and like you were saying, this is this is the other side of it where it's it's much slicker. It's much more commercial. And. Um, and you pay, and that again, it's like I get it; it makes sense, but it somehow for me feels like the whole fan fanny thing. How? You know, it's it's meant to be that I like your work. I watch the show you're on. I'll buy it on the DVD in return. You know, your deal is you'll sign an autograph for me. Or, yeah, that's me. That yeah, that rather, that makes sense. Rather than if I'm paying you directly, then that's just prostitution. But do I, <laughs> like, it but, just feels wrong. But. All right. If if I want to get if I want to get uh, my uh, if I want to get an autograph from Summer Glau, yeah. Do I turn up with a Firefly DVD, or is there a poster there for her to sign that I, I take I don't, away? I don't know, but I know that you pay for it, so I think you can get her to sign anything really, as long as you're willing to pay the cash. And for how it. much? How how much is? I think it's fifty dollars for an autograph and fifty dollars <gasps> for a photo. And then the weird thing is that there were some people who were $30, which makes it even worse, because it's like, oh, you've, you know you're commercial, but you know you're not worth as much as Edward James Olmos, and you've got yourself, oh, it's awful. It's awful 50, for everyone. $50 but, for an autograph. How much, how much were yours, John? This is the other, how's it free, darling? They're free. <laughs> we give back. Uh, we give ourselves freely. But the other thing you've got to remember is that it's actually quite cheap to get into Supernova. It's 30 bucks, which is... Quite cheap for this sort of event because I, yeah, I, I could get a I could get a, a shit person signature for that. Well, this is the thing though because I, I bumped into someone from WorldCon and we were talking about she was saying that, that there's just no crossover between these sort of two groups because if the, the the WorldCon type fans who come to to Supernova um, it doesn't have the sort of discussion element and it doesn't the creators it's often you know the stars whereas the people who go to Supernovas if they go to one of the cons they find them quite amateur and and of course cons are quite expensive to run like they cost a couple hundred bucks I think for a for a you know, Worldcon thing to attend. Yes. As opposed to, you know, it's only 30 bucks to shop with this and you can, you can see some famous people, and that's kind of fun. So, I mean, they both serve different purposes, and I think they both, they both do really good things. So, but it was it, just kind is, of is Supernova setting the price, or is Summer Glau's people setting the price? I do not know. I know but I know it's a, basic, it's a basic way this stuff works now. Ah. So. Wow. Yeah. So, look, I mean, I had a great time, and it was a really interesting thing to be at. And and I really enjoyed spending the day there and, and seeing the people. But there is yeah, a lot of it is just shopping. Yeah, at the end of the day. So so yeah, I would do it again, but I don't go for one day. I can't imagine going for both. It's it's, it's a world I'm entirely unfamiliar with, yeah. and like a lot of science fiction, I'm willing to investigate more. You're willing to touch it a little. Oh yeah, yeah. Never posted. Never letter. Did you read it? Brett, uh, you've uh, you've got a letter there from uh, from Sophie from Canada. 
Yes, I'm not going to try and do the uh, the accent because uh, it's uh, it's such a delicate Canadian one. Uh, just in Boxcutters Melbourne English, I just wanted to wish you a happy 300th episode. And so hang on, to is this your real voice now? Dear Boxcutters, I just wanted to wish you a happy 300th episode and to thank you. This will sound ridiculous, but you guys genuinely changed my life. You were the first podcast I ever listened to. You introduced me to a world where sarcastic nerds reign supreme. You're also responsible for the only two detentions I ever received when you resulted in me bursting out inappropriate laughter in the middle of religion class. I think we can all agree that Craig McLaughlin is funnier and more interesting than original sin. When I first started listening, I was 13 and mainly watched bad science fiction, trashy cop shows, documentaries about badgers and Degrassi. Now, of course, I also watch Community. I'm leaving for university this coming September and moving over 3,000 kilometres away. Not to be creepy, but it is genuinely comforting to know that I'll be able to take your podcasts with me when I go. Thank you for all your great work over the years. The Boxcutters family is a great team, and I'm so happy to have you as part of my life. Cheers, Sophie. That was a lovely email. When we when we got that email when we got that email in, I was having a particularly bad day, and uh, and that email came in. And I got all did happy. You cry a I got all happy and did teary. You cry a little? Yeah, I did. You did because you tweeted about it. <laughs> I know. I loved. I loved that letter so much. It meant. It meant so much to me on that day. That's so, the truncated version too. The longer is, one's even more weepy. The long one. Yeah. The, the long one is uh, is is more weepy. I'm I'm very happy that. Uh, Sophie's all grown I know, up. I know, I know. She grew up with a show. It's bizarre. She started listening. She was like 13 or something. And then she's off to uni and it's just like, oh, it's amazing. Oh, my little girl's so grown up. <laughs> She'll be dating soon. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this, this one comes from, uh, from Rob Boxcutter. Uh, dear Boxcutters, past and present, according to some theories, there are an infinite number of alternate universes in which you didn't make it to 300 eps. Indeed, in which a Boxcutters podcast doesn't even exist. All I know is that in those universes, A, I would have laughed less, B, some people who are now dead might still be alive, <laughs> and C, I'd have wasted a lot of valuable time trying out TV shows that turn out to be less than worthy. A very happy 300 to you all. As long as you keep putting that pork on the table, I'll keep coming to dinner. Or occasionally breakfast for the odd serve of crunchy granola. Be careful out there, Rob Boxcutter. I love that one because no one's mentioned crunchy granola in so much time. I, I think it predates me. It does. It, pre- it, it, it predates you. Back when uh, we used to record the show and just put it up. Mm-hmm. And just put it up straight away. And it, we used to record it at around 9 o'clock and finish it around 11, Brett. And then it would get onto the web at about 1am and there were people who would wait up for it oh. on a Monday night. I know they don't exist anymore, but <laughs> there, there, there are people who would wait up for uh, for when it would appear to on the... To listen to it while it was still hot. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they said, oh yeah, I got that crunchy granola. And I don't know how that ended up being, but it's, if you go back through the, the comments of, of some early episodes, it's all uh, crunchy granola. So Rob, showing that he's old school. Yeah. I like it. He's keeping it real. Brett Cropley, if you are going to watch one thing this week, what would it be? It would be Prophets of Science Fiction, Philip K. Dick episode on uh, SBS 1, 8.30, Sunday night. So this is uh, people who wrote science fiction but actually foretold the future. Literary genius, genius, celebrated visionary, paranoid outcast. Philip K. Dick lived a life of ever-shifting realities straight from the pages of his mind-bending sci-fi stories. I, I was really looking just for a simple yes. Yeah. Rather than just you reading out what they've written in the Green Guard. Yep. Good. <laughs> John? Uh, I'll be flying to America. Oh, nice. Good yeah. on for you. Yeah, because I've no chance to you know, talk about it since we've been back. Uh, Mad Men Series 5 has started, and I've been really, really enjoying my weekly yeah, flights appa- to America. Yeah. Apparently, apparently it's, it's hit its strides again. Yeah, it's been Did an, it get better? It has been an amazing series, this one. Um, there was an episode two weeks ago called Mystery Date, which I think is one of the best things they've ever done. And it was all about how women were reacting in the time, and... All the female characters kind of react to this new story that's going on. It was just an amazing character study of people. So what's the, time. what's the series year? It's 66 now we've, we've hit. And it's just, yeah, it's just kind of fascinating to, to see that episode and the one after it where they were looking at a bunch of how the men were acting to another thing. It, it's much more 
it's becoming much more like it was in the first uh, beginning where it feels like a bunch of short stories. It's almost like every week is a short story right. set in the same universe focusing on some different characters. And so, there's, you know, there's some plot kind of going through, but they've, they've kind of realized the plot is never the most interesting part of that show. And then they're now embracing the, the rest of what's going on. Just the, just the looking at the Thursday night, uh, ABC 1 at 8.30, I can change your mind about climate. A documentary about climate skeptics and, and such. I don't know, but there's uh, but Tony Jones is doing a special Q and A afterwards with uh, with skeptics and not skeptics. So is it is it changing the skeptics' mind about believing in? I I have I have. I'm presuming it's both. I, I, both th- I think it's, I think it's both. I just li- I just like people shouting spurious arguments Cause, at cause each I'm, other. I'm sure at the end of that episode. A whole lot of really interesting discussion will have been happened, and, and minds will be changed. Yeah. I'm sure that's, that's going to happen. It's exactly what's going to happen. Didn't yeah. we do this before? Yeah, but not about climate change. I think it was about. Yes, it was. It was, it was a climate skeptic who was talking about the figures and saying, "Oh no, you, you, the last twenty years don't count for anything." Oh no, <laughs> Look at this, no, that the, was a one-off. Those... That was a one-off documentary about. Is yeah, no, this, this, is? Is, no, this is going both ways. I think the idea is this is meant to be that you know climate deniers and 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 and, and real people, yeah, you know, and normal people <laughs> with actual scientific. Yeah. You know, basis for believing stuff will be talking to each other whereas that was the ABC weirdly trying to claim some idea of balance by playing a global warming skeptic documentary which was odd two opinions enter one opinion uh, yes. leaves yeah, yeah Nicole what are you watching this week she doesn't have anything I just finished comedy festival I have no idea what's going on on TV at the moment <laughs> She doesn't know. She said earlier in the she, earlier, before you got into the, the studio something serious. She said, "Don't, don't ask me. I have got nothing." Yeah, but I wanted to ask. Yeah, fair enough. And what? And what she say? She she's just finished comedy festival, so there's there's nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. It's bad preparation on her part. Oh, awkward. Disappointing. Hey, um, when I cast my pod, it's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done. Pork is on the table. Nicola Duffy, donor to, to box cutters. There are two kinds of sh- two, two shows that you enjoy watching that I don't understand. One one is I didn't know I was pregnant, and the other is say yes to the dress. And particularly, I didn't know I was pregnant. Is the same show every week. A woman doesn't know she's pregnant. <laughs> comes to term delivers a baby is surprised why why is that so interesting to you enjoy is a really strong word (laughs) (laughs) we last time went to america with my husband and my best friend we watched it at all the hotels we stayed at so late at night early in the morning we might have been sleep deprived, so our judgment probably wasn't a hundred percent. But it's a little bit fascinating because you can just look at these people and go, "Really? You just in denial? The pregnant ladies, not the wedding dress ladies." Mm. Um, but the wedding dress ladies are just crazy as well. The pregnant ladies—is it one woman per episode? It's usually two. How many? Uh, uh, there are so many of them. What's well, the thing? I can't, I can't get my head around. How can there be that many women not knowing they're pregnant and giving birth? And again, I think not knowing is a strong way to phrase it. Right. <laughs> I think it's um, A, people wanting to be on TV, and B, people in deep denial or deep lying about knowing they were pregnant. Um, I can see to a certain point where that would happen from experience, but um, I think that there's, a, there's also, you have to keep... Keep in mind, there's a lot of education in America about sex-related things in pregnancy that doesn't happen. So I think there are probably a lot of teenage girls who know something's going on, but they're not quite sure what. And so with this show, is it following them like as they're pregnant and giving birth, or is it coming in it's after? It's recreation. Okay. So it's like they tell their story, and then so it's, it's like... Um, and there's, there's an actor pretending to not know that they're pregnant. <laughs> But the other show that we enjoyed that Josh didn't mention, which went with the pregnancy show, was there's a whole... The TLC channel has this whole range of shows about pregnant women. There's a show called Pregnancy in Peril, which is the best show ever. (laughs) So so Pregnancy in Peril, I'd I'd completely forgotten about. But It's like a plane's crashing, but there's a woman on board who's pregnant. Or or it's the end of the Italian job, and she's in the van, and it's (laughs) teetering. Just blow the bush! 
there, there was a woman who was para- who was um, jumping out of a plane with parachuting, and she didn't know she was pregnant, and her her chute didn't open, and she hit the ground, and they only discovered she was pregnant when she went to the hospital, and she broke like every bone in her body, and then had decided to have the baby while she was healing, which is amazing in the first place. But my favorite part of that whole story is when she went to ha- to deliver the baby. They were going to give her a, a C-section because they didn't think they thought they would re-break her pelvis if she tried to deliver naturally. But she didn't want to have the operation because she didn't want another scar. <laughs> really, at that point, that you know. that woman's been on a number of shows as well because she was also on I didn't know I was parachuting. <laughs> <laughs> was she on I didn't know I was pregnant or in pregnancies in peril? I, I'm not confused. No, she so, was on pregnancies, pregnancies in, in peril. peril. Okay, but then they had. But like, she could have been on the other one. Presumably. She could have been. She could do both. But she was only, like, six weeks when they discovered, so that's kind of natural not okay. to know you're right. at that point. But then there's, like, pregnancy in homeless, pregnancy in jail, pregnancy while overweight. There's a whole range of pregnancy shows, and they're just fascinating in a weird sort of way. But um, So we watched a lot of that while we were in America. So it was just, you know, fast food and pregnancy shows. But the wedding dress show is just weirdly fascinating to, to watch people it's, spend. It's another, it's another spoiled bride show, isn't it? Sometimes. No, not necessarily. It's like this giant wedding dress store in New York or New Jersey or somewhere. And they just pump these women in and out. And they just it's kind of part about the people buying the dresses and part about the people who work there. Um, So they'll see you just see people bring in, you know, 10 members of their family to help them pick out a dress. And then you just see these weird family dynamics. And basically she ends up with a dress she doesn't want. Or they end up, they come in with a $10,000 budget and spend $24,000 on a floor model, like, dress that they have to get repaired anyway. It's weirdly fascinating. I actually want to watch that one. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to the end of Boxcutters episode 302. Actually, I've got a plug. Yeah. I've got a plug. Um, Just Just last Thursday, you're doing a... Oh, yeah, last Thursday, I'm doing a talk. Sorry about that. I'm doing one one at the end of May in Frankston. If you want to come and see me talk about a gay science fiction fan club comedy in Frankston, because that could be hilarious. And we're also also doing uh, Continue in June, maybe. We're doing Continue in June. But I wanted to mention uh, that... Uh, if you are in Friesburg in Germany on the 4th and 6th of May, you can see the entirety of Outland oh. playing in the festival there. If you're in Boston in the USA on May 9th, you can see all of Outland playing in a festival there. Um, and if you're going to the Input Conference in Sydney, which is where the uh, world's television gathers to watch things, you can see an episode there and come and say hello to me afterwards. Oh, you have to go to Sydney. I know. It's an international thing. Every year it's in somewhere amazing. This is the first year it's in Sydney. And it's like, uh, you know, getting to Sydney is slightly more frustrating than getting to Nunnawadding. You know, it's like I would, I would, you know, it's I've got to travel, but nowhere interesting. At, at least in Nunnawadding you can look at where Wobby's world used to be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, fond memories of where Wobby's oh, world used to be. There used to be Wobby's yeah. world. And there used to be a Denny's on that corner. But yeah, but if you're in Freesburg or Boston, go see out there. Free, Freesburg, Germany. Yeah. This is the end of Box Cutters episode 302. I want to say thanks very much to Christine Lawrence, who uh, gave us her time. And also thanks, thanks very much to the uh, the uh, security at the Viacom building in <laughs> New York for finally letting me up the escalators after the crazy crazy show us your driver's license call upstairs you shouldn't have been dressed as pedo bear that's always gonna happen it's always gonna happen uh also thanks very much to nicole o'duffy what a joy it has been to have you in the studio with us until next week my name is josh canal i'm john richards i'm nicole o'duffy I continue to be Brett Cropley. Thanks for listening to Box Cutters Catches again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. My name is Nicola Duffy and I donated to the Box Cutters South by Southwest Fund. This episode of Box Cutters was produced by Josh Cannell with Brett Cropley, John Richards, Dave Lawson, Glenn Peters, and Courtney Hockey. Brett Cropley is the audio mister and Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the boss of all servers. Box Cutters thanks 3RRR, whose studios we use to record this show pretty much each and every week. If you enjoyed the show, why not donate some money to keep it going? It's what I did and I don't regret it yet. Just go to boxcutters.net forward slash donate and make your choice. Also, you could rate box cutters on iTunes and make them seem more popular or just tell your friends how wonderful the show is. Now listen carefully. They'll do the end bit now. Thanks. That was really good. Work. That was, yeah, great. Very that was good. great. Now, uh... It's not the first time you've been a performer, though. Yeah. <laughs> is it, Nicole? <laughs> the source of my crushing stage fright. Yeah, go on. Tell us. So when I was 
eight, and I was in second grade at St. Michael's Catholic Primary School. Um, my school decided to do a talent show, and I wanted to do a tap routine because I was taking tap dance lessons. And my mother and my brother, who was four years older than me, decided the best thing to do would be to, do, to choreograph a routine <laughs> to Billy Joel's It's Still Rock and Roll to Me. Is your mother a tap dance choreographer? In no way whatsoever. Uh, your brother? No. Okay. I just wanted to, to gauge their expertise in this, uh, in, in this field. Please go on. It turned out about as well as you can expect. So I learned my routine, wore my little costume from my tap dance recital the year before, got up there on stage in front of the entire school, kindergarten to year eight, gym full of kids. And... <laughs> no. It's like some terrible therapy now. <laughs> just and just work on, through it. Work I'm through on it, the huh? middle of the stage, they go to play the record, and they played the wrong song. They had the record on the wrong side, so they played track two from the wrong side of the album. Oh, no. And I'm there, and I do my little tap routine, and it's completely the wrong tempo for the song. <laughs> And I finished, and it was literally like, like you'd see in a film, silence. <laughs> and I just had to walk off into just dead silence. With the tap shoes. With the tap shoes making their little tap noise down the front of the stairs and then go sit back in the gym with all the other kids while the next kid did their routine. Oh, and so was this a better experience for you than that? Definitely. <laughs> Don't imagine You're too familiar And I don't it was. see you anymore Hi, this is Pete Smith You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters